0: Welcome to another episode of NeuroPodCases, a clinical neuroscience podcast.
1: So my name is Arina and I'm a neurology trainee at the Walton Center and this is a second episode on neurological localization. I have with me Dr. John Williamson. Hi. So, there's, uh, so this is the second episode uh, on what is probably one of the most important topics in neurology. Uh, so if you're just plugging in, do check out the first one in which we are sort of talking through a system in which to approach the patients um, and, and sort of uh, test our hypothesis on where the lesion might be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so now we'll jump straight into some cases. And I know that in the first episode we said you know we never examine patients just by itself. We always have history and uh, sort of the patient's background to guide us. Uh, But here, just sort of for the purposes of the exercise, uh, I'm gonna uh, give you straight examination findings. That's okay. okay. Yeah, no problem. Okie dokie. So uh, let's go into our case number one. Uh, So we have a 55-year-old man, and um, basically on his examination, uh, there's weakness of the right leg. Uh, This weakness is sort of not affecting the whole uh, of his right leg. It's most prominent in certain movements, such as uh, ankle dorsiflexion and also ankle inversion and um, aversion. The reminder of the movements in his uh, right leg are normal and sort of uh, the movements in his left leg is also fine. His reflexes are fine. And on the sensory testing, there is uh, just a patch of the sort of uh, lack of sensation on the anterolateral aspect of his left calf. Mm-hmm. the rest of the sort of examination uh, in the limbs and also sort of cranial nerves is actually fine. Yeah. Uh, so how would you sort of approach this problem?
0: Okay, so I think this is a, a really good example of um, how to, you know, approach try and approach a problem as logically as you can. So the, the, basically the clinical syndrome here is someone presenting with a foot drop and um, you need to think, well, what are the potential causes for that? Um, and then use your examination to see if you can help narrow that down. So the potential causes of a foot drop, well, you know, we can start at the very top, to be honest. So it could start at the level of the homunculus in the cortex. If you had a very, uh, a very small area affecting the uh, homunculus area for the foot, then that could present with weakness in the foot. Um, and clinically, it might be unlikely, but, you know, you could have a very small stroke in an ACA territory. I guess that could do it, or a small parasagittal meningioma um, affecting, uh, pressing on the, the cortex in that area. But I think the most important thing from this examination is there's no upper motor neuron finding seen. That's so, right. There
1: are normal reflexes in this exactly. examination.
0: So, you are not. that would be a bit unusual. And the plantar response is, is down going, not up going. So that that would uh, go against that. Is this likely to be, um, you know, the subcortical white matter where the upper motor neuron pathways all converge on that um So it all converge in the internal capsule? Well, I think that's very unlikely because it's just the foot. And as we said in the previous episode, you would expect the weakness to be a lot more pronounced face, arm and leg, to be honest. So that's unlikely. Is it brainstem? Well, there's no brainstem signs mentioned, no brainstem symptoms mentioned. It's very unlikely. Is it spinal cord? Well, it's one side of the body. That doesn't necessarily put you off, but it's a bit odd for it to just be the foot if it's the spinal cord, because um, you've got to remember you've got all of those nerves travelling down to the lower limbs together in the spinal cord. Um, so then finally we get to the, uh, where the money is going to be here, which is the, the lower motor neuron uh, pathway. And uh, we've got here the weaknesses of ankle uh, dorsiflexion. So we know that that is done by the tibialis anterior muscle, which is innervated by the deep peroneal uh, nerve, which is a branch of the common peroneal nerve. And um, tibialis anterior can also do foot eversion, which again is innervated by the same nerve. So it's possible that ankle dorsiflexion problem and eversion of the ankle could be explained by that. But what we would struggle to explain by that is why the foot inversion is weak. Because tibialis anterior doesn't do foot inversion. That's done by tibialis posterior. tibialis posterior is actually supplied by a, a different nerve as well. Okay. So that's not supplied by the uh, common perineal nerve. And tibialis posterior is supplied by the tibial nerve. Okay, So we can't explain this uh, pattern of weakness solely by a uh, common perineal nerve palsy. And what I'd advise students to do is just to Google there the common perineal nerve, so the sciatic nerve and its divisions and into the common perineal nerve and the tibial nerve uh, just to get a feel for what I've talked about there. So then what are the options beyond that? So you could ask, well, could this be a problem of an anterior presentation of anterior horn cell? But we've, we've done a sensory exam and we can see that the sensory exam demonstrates some, some numbness. So that's not going to be an anterior horn cell. You wouldn't expect sensory signs with that. So really what that then brings us to is could this be a problem more proximal, where both nerves destined to become the tibial nerve and nerves destined to become the common perineal nerve are together and that's a L5 nerve root and this is a very typical um, s- dilemma that can be seen distinguishing a foot drop on whether it's an L5 nerve root versus a common perineal nerve palsy and on the basis of the examination from what you've given I would say it's more likely to be an L9, L5 L nerve root problem however I think in, in clinical practice that can be really tricky especially when a foot is weak working out whether inversion and eversion also affected can be tricky but it just shows you that the sort of the structured approach mm. to that
1: absolutely and um, patients sort of the most common cause for that would be a prolapsed uh, disc, and so yeah. patients would be often in pain and pain would also uh, limit exactly. examination yeah, yeah. to a certain extent, isn't yeah. it? So
0: you you would hope that the, the history would would give you a clue um with that, but um, if you're just you know. If you are just going to walk up to someone and examine them, then maybe <laughs> um, maybe that, that's the, the way you'd approach it alone. Yeah. Absolutely, okay. yeah, it's great. One of the things about this case, you might say, well, but you're saying this is lower motor neuron, but the reflexes are normal. Mm-hmm. Um, well, the, it's important to remember what levels the reflexes we commonly test are obviously the um, ankle jerk and the knee jerk. So ankle jerk is kind of like an S1, little bit S2 reflex, and the knee jerk is L3, L4. So an L5 root problem is not going to have a problem you're not going to have problems with those reflexes so um, it's about knowing the levels of those reflexes Mm -hmm. is quite important
1: yeah absolutely as we said sort of in the previous episode whenever examining the patients having that in mind is actually which which sort of nerve roots am i testing with those reflexes good um uh, so that's that's a very good sort of way of distinguishing and sort of narrowing down um, our diagnosis and uh, localizations. Uh, case number two, um, this time we have a 60 year old uh, woman uh, who is bedbound, bound and uh, she's bedbound because she has sort of spastic weakness uh, and uh, there's uh, no power at all. She cannot move her legs. Uh, she has brief, res- br- brisk reflexes uh, in her both lower limbs with upgoing plantars, and then uh, there's a sensory loss in sort of all the modalities from umbilicus downwards. Uh, higher up, in the sort of examination of her upper limbs and the cranial nerves, um, basically is normal. It's unremarkable, so it's probably a bit more of a straightforward case. But just to demonstrate the same principles.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, uh, very good. So this woman has symmetrical weakness in the legs. And we call that a, a paraparesis. And the, the first question really is, what's the pattern of weakness that we're seeing there? And we're seeing that it's upper motor neuron signs. So she's got brisk reflexes, upgoing planters, and she's got spasticity. So those are all upper motor neuron signs. Uh, when we talked about how to localise within the upper motor neuron pathway, um, we tried to draw a, draw a distinction between perhaps hemispheric problems and spinal cord problems by the fact that hemispheric problems tend to be lateralized, i.e. one side of the body, uh, whereas spinal cord problems can be uh, both sides of the body. So I think here I would be thinking spinal cord as an immediate thing. The question then of course is where in the spinal cord uh, the problem could be. It's very likely to be below the level of the cervical cord because of the fact that it's only the legs affected and not the arms. Do need to be a little bit careful with that sometimes, because obviously uh, pathology can take time to evolve and it it doesn't necessarily exclude a cervical cause. But um, you would you would think here this is looking likely to be at least around the thoracic uh, spinal cord. How could you be a bit more definite? Uh, Well, you could use the sensory exam to help you with that. So she's lost all sensory modalities. So this is kind of like a, a whole cord syndrome. There's a very good podcast with Dr Jacob on spinal cord syndromes where we discuss the different spinal cord syndromes. But this is someone who's affected the whole, all modalities. And the fact that she's lost sensation to the umbilicus tells us this is likely to be a around the level of T10, which is where the umbilicus is.
1: Great. Uh, So um, going on to case number three, um, we have a 74 year old man uh, who presents with weakness and that weakness is sort of uh, greater in his legs than his arms, uh, but it is symmetrical on both sides. Uh, He has reduced uh, ankle and uh, knee reflexes. Planters are actually down going, so they are normal he also complains of tingling and sort of unpleasant uh, sensations, paresthesia like in both legs and arms, uh, distally more so than proximally. And then a few days later, he also develops bilateral facial weakness.
0: Yeah. OK, the, the first thing to think is in a case like this. So as if you remember at the start of the podcast, I said when you're trying to localize, you have to think, is this a focal problem, a multifocal problem, or whether this is more of a diffuse problem? And I think I would hope that um, the students would see that whilst initially when that starts with weakness in the legs and then weakness in the arms and legs, you might think to yourself, "Well, this could be a focal problem, I don't know, affecting, say, the spinal cord. Actually, by the time someone has also developed a weakness in the face, this is hinting far more at a diffuse problem. Okay. Um, So we're looking here at a diffuse problem affecting the nervous system and it's affecting both motor and sensory aspects of the nervous system and the motor examination demonstrates lower motor neuron signs. So uh, this is very likely to be, uh, with that combination, polyneuropathy. Um, So a polyneuropathy affecting both the motor and sensory peripheral nerves. And again, with this, that alone is, is very difficult to tell you the cause but that the history you've given there, um, albeit brief, is very suggestive of quite an acute process. So you'd be very worried here about a sort of an, uh, an acute neuropathy, such as Guillaume barre syndrome.
1: Do we have a podcast on that as well?
0: We do, we do. There, there is a, there is one um, with uh, Dr. Rhys Davies and Viraj Barambe, yeah, which I recommend you listen to.
1: Perfect, uh, self advertising all yeah, the way through. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's great. So, um, and just sort of thinking, uh, what makes it really not um, um, a sort of brainstem lesion in that case? Because I guess some student could say, "Well, how do you know for sure, um, Dr. Williamson?" Yeah. Um
0: So yeah, th- th- that's that's a that's a good point, I guess. So. You'd have to think to yourself. So, where, what sort of problem in the brainstem would this be? Uh, this would have to be a problem affecting the level of the pons at least, because it's got the facial nerve. Even the seventh nerve is going to be in the the the, the pons, uh, and it's going to have to be bilateral. So, you know, technically, you're you're right. This could be someone presenting with say a top of basilar syndrome could theoretically present like this. And, and you know, and sorry, and any and as I said before, the uh, the upper motor neuron signs could take a while. Uh, to to evolve and emerge. Um, usually, with that sort of syndrome, though, you would expect there to be a significant um, dropping conscious level or significant problems with respiration. Um, and you get the feeling with this case that that's just not not been the, not been the not been the case. So you're right. So I probably it could technically be a focal problem affecting just the top of the basilar, but um, I think very unlikely. Um, and
1: it's yeah. the whole, whole picture and the sort of progressive uh, nature yeah, uh, yeah. of symptoms. Yeah, science, e- isn't it? exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. brilliant. Uh, so the last one you might be glad to know, uh, we have a six, nine year old woman uh, who develops weakness affecting her left arm and leg uh, with increased tone, uh, pain and temperature sensation are also absent uh, on the left. Uh, right arm and leg are unaffected she cannot raise her eyebrows show her teeth or feel anything on the uh, right side of her face and then she gets diplopia when she looks to her right okay so um, a couple of things happening there yeah yeah.
0: so so a couple of things happening here and um, I guess the question the key thing here is can we narrow this down to being a focal problem in the nervous system or is this a multifocal problem in the nervous system so Again, we have to think through our anatomy and think through what we've got on examination here, and can we tie that together? Now, let's just think. So she's got weakness down the left arm and leg, and that weakness it uh, demonstrates increased tone. Increased tone. So, so she's got increased tone. So mm-hmm. let's say that increased tone is spasticity. Mm-hmm. Uh, then uh, that is an upper motor neur- neuron finding. Okay, so we're thinking upper motor neuron down one side of the body. So already we're starting to think either a hemispheric problem or a brainstem problem, okay? Then we have to think about the other signs that she's got. So she's got weakness down the right side of her face and that's affecting the uh, both the upper part of the face and the lower part of the face. Absolutely. And it's the, mm-hmm. and it's the opposite side to the uh, weakness in the arm and leg. If you remember in the first episode... I said that when you get cross signs like that, that's a good localizing uh, sign for the brainstem. Now, the reason for that is, so she sounds like she's got a seventh nerve palsy on the right.
1: That's correct, because and she's she, got yeah. a, and, mm-hmm. and
0: that's actually a lower motor neuron pattern mm-hmm. of, of weakness for the seventh nerve, not an upper motor neuron pattern of weakness.
1: And that is because she cannot raise her eyebrows, which is sort of um, the one thing it's worth remembering, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, exactly.
0: So she's got a lower motor neuron pattern of seventh. So we know that this is affecting at least the nucleus of the 7th nerve, or the, the tracts of the 7th nerve uh, mm. distal to that. Um, and it's on the opposite side to where she's got upper motor neuron signs. So that is very localised, that's a good localization to the brain stem. And if you look on, if you were to Google the 7th nerve nucleus in the brain stem, you'll see that it's in the pons, but it sits very close to the abducens nerve, which is the 6th nerve nucleus. And she's also got some, uh, she's also got diplopia. And when she looks, she can't look to the right. The right abducens nerve will abduct the right eye. And she can't do that. So she's got a combination of both the sixth and the seventh nerve palsy on the right, which we know localizes to the pons. And she's got upper motor neuron signs on the left arm and leg. So all in all, this would be very suspicious of a right pontine problem. And I guess the question is what's caused it and you'd go back to your history, uh, take a history, see if this has come on very quickly, which may be a stroke. If it's come on more subacutely over hours, days, you might think things like MS, or if it's come on very slowly, then you might think tumours or AVMs, something like that. But uh, the localisation is worked out from, from first principles there.
1: Absolutely. Uh, so these are the four cases, and I think um, there'll be many more that uh, one can probably find uh, simply by yeah. uh, going back to textbooks and sort of um, and, and listening, to, and the listening to the podcast, obviously, yeah. and uh, yeah. so visiting all of the our
0: podcasts. Pretty much like, well, most of the podcasts do have, at some degree, an element of localization in them, and I think it can be a bit daunting, especially when it's complex. But Hopefully, by listening to this one, people will be a bit more familiar with it. And when then they do hear others discussing their approach to localization, they can draw on, on some of the principles in this, uh, in this episode.
1: Great. Thank you very much. It's a right. it. pleasure. See you.
0: Cheers. Thank you for listening. For more information about this episode, please visit our website at neuropodcases.co.uk.